0: Hello, we're pleased you've been able to tune in once again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program.
1: And so this is where it leads. If you want to follow Christ, it leads to your heart being filled with love. Romans chapter 5, God has put
0: his love into us. Over the past few months, Dr. Corbett has been exploring the last gospel making his way through the New Testament book of John. This week he brings the journey to a conclusion, asking the question Jesus asked Peter the disciple three times. Peter had denied Jesus three times in the lead up to the crucifixion. So after his resurrection, in an act of restoration, Jesus addresses Peter directly. The question hangs in the air. Are you ready to make your answer? I invite you to stay tuned as Dr. Corbett poses Christ's question, do you love me?
1: Father? we want to hear from you we want our hearts as we have already sung to be healed and to be restored this morning i pray father for those who are here present that they would feel your presence in their soul may your word as your word says dwell richly in us i pray father that you would quiet the distractions quiet The noise of this world and help us to begin to hear the world in which you dwell and reign as it intersects with this world now Lord I need your help open your word through me to those who are hearing and heeding in Jesus name amen please turn In your Bibles to John chapter 21 we are going to be concluding the last gospel series today and I want you to be aware of uh, some things that I hope I I can bring out. So we have seen through John's gospel that he's written with a very clear mandate. He's actually told us what he's trying to do. This is why we call it the gospel of belief. It's not the gospel of just simply acknowledging. It's the gospel that calls for a response. And that response is that you might believe. That belief is not just have an idea. That belief calls for an attitude and an action. In a moment I'm going to point this out. But for now, what we're going to see in this chapter, I'm calling the climax of what it means to believe and it's centered on this question that Jesus asks Simon Peter three times and we'll see the transaction that happened as Jesus did this with him so this is what we see through the gospel of John that he starts off by giving reasons why the reader should believe Jesus that's it just simply believe but then he shows that's not where it ends We also, he wants us to see, we also must realise that he wants us not just to believe Jesus, not just to believe that he could or he did, but to put our trust in and believe in. But it doesn't just stop there either. The journey of coming to know Christ goes from believing that what is said about him is true, putting our trust in him because it's true, and then following him. This is why as a follower of Christ we do certain things. One of the things I trust you do if you have become a follower of Christ is that you take his word and you feed on it through the week. If today is your only input of the Bible, I'm grateful that you're here. I'm grateful that at least it's that. But I want to encourage you. And a part of my mission today is to encourage you to follow Jesus on a Monday morning, not just a Sunday morning, by taking His word and making your way through it. By doing that, there's an attitude that is transformed in our soul. And it's an attitude that says, I will obey you. We sometimes think of attitudes as not that really important. You know, I remember hearing. Some comedian ridiculed Christian morals who said that, "Okay, the Bible says you can't look at a woman to lust, but I say if you go into a restaurant, there's nothing wrong with looking at the menu even though you're not going to order everything on it. And it might have been funny to his audience because they laughed, but it wasn't funny to Jesus. Because Jesus says in the Beatitudes about this attitude of lusting in an evil way. You see, the 10th commandment says, do not covet. And covet is an attitude. It's not an action, it's an attitude that leads to an action. Coveting is wanting something that's not yours. And as Rosaria Butterfield, a former lesbian activist, said recently in a, in a discussion with Christopher Yuan and Beckett Cook, three people who have come out of the LGBT lifestyle, she said one of the sins of people who promote same-sex marriage is that they are actively encouraging people to break two of the Ten Commandments. Do not bear false witness. In other words, do not lie because marriage is between a man and a woman. It's not between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. And that's not hate speech, that's truth-telling. And the tenth commandment is, "Do not covet. Do not want something that is not yours." So to obey Christ affects not just what we do, but the attitude with which we do it. God loves a something giver. A So it's not just as Earl said, not just to give, it's to give cheerfully, with great delight. That's an attitude. Come into the house of God with gladness, the scripture says, the psalmist writes. So there's an attitude. And that attitude leads to a willingness, that's an attitude, to worship God, which is an attitude and an act of surrender to Him that acknowledges that He is Lord. And that leads to the greatest attitude, one of the two commandments. That Christ gave and by the way the two commandments the two greatest commandments were number one love God with all your heart mind strength and soul that's from the book of Deuteronomy and the second one is love your neighbor as yourself and that is Leviticus 19 verse 18 and there are people that say we're in the new covenant the old covenant has got nothing to do with us anymore and Jesus said the two greatest commandments come From the Old Testament, to love. And so this is where it leads. If you want to follow Christ, it leads to your heart being filled with love. Romans chapter 5, God has put his love into us. And so it means that you could be right here now going, I could never do any of that. Yes, that's the point. You need his help to do it all. And all you have to do is say help the prayer isn't i've got this the prayer is i need your help to get this love so we're reading from john chapter 21 verse 1 and we see that those who listen to the podcast and those who get the the radio message tonight will will see that the resurrection something happened in previous chapter in chapter 20 When Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb and sees that the stone is rolled away, a stone presumably sealed with wax, a a stone, a great big round boulder that's been put into this groove that is rolled in and you can't easily move it. That's why it says the women went to the tomb wondering how were they going to move the stone? (laughs) And when they get there, it's already moved. It's not even in the groove. It's gone. And so she looks in and sees there's no one there. She rushes back to Jerusalem to see Peter and John and tell them the body's gone. Jesus has risen. <laughs> they come running to the tomb and an incredibly interesting thing happens. John gets there first, but he waits for Peter. That's, that's a, I think, a mark of respect to Peter. Peter looks in and he sees, yeah, there's no body there. And then he goes and he tells the disciples, It's true what Mary has said, Jesus has risen. It then says John went in. This 16-year-old disciple, Earl mentioned that Jesus and uh, had Peter come to him and say, we have to pay the temple tax. Two coins in the fish's mouth, one for you, one for me. Because the temple tax was only to be paid by men over 20. That means of the 12 disciples, only one of them was over 20 and that was Peter who was married. That means Jesus chose a youth group to change the world. And some of you here think, what on earth can teenagers know? Well, I just say this, you were once a teenager and you knew everything. (laughs) And here we have John who then, after Peter has gone, it says John goes in. And this is what happens. It's an incredibly, it's so easy to miss, but this is what happens. He goes in and he sees and it says, and when John saw the grave clothes folded... The moment he saw that, it says he believed. Peter saw that the grave clothes were there. He said, Well, body snatchers wouldn't just do that. But John went in and he saw the grave clothes folded. Some theologians wonder about this. Why why would Jesus have folded his grave clothes? You know, they're looking for deeper significance. We're going to see this a few times in this passage. And someone, some. Right, theologian said probably because he had a mother who taught him fold your bedclothes, <laughs> make your bed, make your bed. So, what we've got here is John recognising this, and chances are John, who would have travelled, who did travel with Christ for three and a half years, and probably when they stayed in different places, probably spent the night in the same room as Jesus and probably would have noticed this little thing that whenever Jesus woke up in the morning, whatever bedclothes he had, he folded them neatly. And soon as John saw that, he said, that's Jesus. His body hasn't been taken. That's what he did. He did that all the time. And it says, John believed. And now we come into chapter 21 and verse 1 and it says this, after this, after what? After Jesus had appeared two times to the disciples, one when Thomas wasn't there, one when Thomas was. And on the second occasion when Thomas was, Jesus said to him, here's the scars, here's where the spear went in, touch them and see, this is what you asked for. And Thomas experienced two things. One, the fact that Jesus knew that's what he asked for, even when Jesus wasn't there. And secondly, he could actually see the evidence that he demanded. It's after these after this, Jesus revealed himself again. That word reveal is a word that John uses all through his gospel. And it doesn't just mean they could see. It doesn't just mean there it was. It means he showed them something. Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. So that's the Sea of Galilee. So we're not in Jerusalem anymore. And we know that in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, Jesus has told his disciples, or uh, sent a message to his disciples, I will see you again in Galilee. So now they've left Jerusalem, they've gone up to Galilee. So now we've got the stage set. And he revealed himself in this way. So it's not just that he turned up, he was revealing something to them. And this is what John tells us. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, the twin. Nathaniel. Of Cana, This is the first time we know that Nathanael is from Cana. And that's interesting because that's where the first miracle of Christ, the first sign Jesus did happens in Cana. And it's a tiny little dot on a map, a tiny little village. Also, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. And they're not named. I don't know why, but if you do... The arithmetic you'll count, including Peter, that's seven disciples. Where's the other four? Or Yeah, where's the other four? Well, we don't know. We're not told. And according to what we're seeing here, it doesn't matter. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. Now, again, scholars go, oh, what? Peter's abandoning the mission that Christ gave him? No, he was... I like this from one commentator. He said, No, he was probably hungry for breakfast. Sometimes we make things very complicated. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And John does this. He uses the expression night and dark to say, "Mm, Probably shouldn't have done this. But anyway, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. It was daybreak or beginning to be daybreak, and so it was still dusk-ish. And so <laughs> they wouldn't have been able to see to the shore. They know we, we know from the text that they were several hundred metres away from shore, so maybe half a kilometre out, and they couldn't tell daybreak. Could, who is that? Can't tell. But this, this person asks the question that everyone who walks past a fisherman asks. Not how you're getting on, but have you... <laughs> And this is how Jesus said it. And the Greek word uh, technia is um, the the word that is translated children. And the ESV has got children. But but our language would probably be more like lads. Lads, have you caught anything? They answered him, no. (laughs) And they've been out all night, right? Fishermen love this. If you ever see a fisherman on a pier, just, just ask them. They love it. They love it when you do it. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some so they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish how did jesus know that on the port side there was no there was no fish but on the starboard side there was a school of fish right there how did he know that <laughs> because he's god he knows everything Including the thought that you're thinking right now. That disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment that he had, because he, had stri- he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. So the, the idea is he, he would have had an outer, gar- an outer garment and you could wonder, why would you put that on to go in the water? Well, probably because when it says he was stripped, he actually really was stripped. And so what he's done is he's tied it around for modesty, jumped in the water. That's probably what's going on here. So the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land now, about a hundred yards off. When they got out... On land, so the boat is kind of stuck. <laughs> they're, as, they're as close to shore as they can get. They saw a charcoal fire in place with fish that had been laid on it and bread. And they probably would have seen Simon Peter sitting across from that fire having a conversation with Jesus. So when they turn up, knowing that it's probably taken them 10, 15 minutes to get that far, we read this, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And this is funny, really, because what's Jesus cooking? Fish. You're hungry for breakfast? I've got that covered too. With bread. And here they are, Jesus is already cooking a large fish. And he says to them, oh, why don't you bring that haul in? Well, they tried. They couldn't do it. So let's, let's do the maths. Peter's gone. That leaves how many in the boat? Six, six that have now come ashore, they're standing there, they've been rowing hard trying to drag this net that's scraping on the bottom now. And he says, oh, why don't you just bring the fish ashore? Well, the whole point was they couldn't. And so Peter gets up, having been in the presence of Christ. And what does he do? I just want you to notice this. Peter has been sitting at the feet of the word. Jesus is the word. He's the Greek word logos, which is the word that the Greeks used for the very reason and cause of the entire universe itself. This is what John is telling us in his gospel. So when they couldn't, so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153... What six men couldn't do, one man who'd spent his time in the presence of Christ did all by himself. Let that thought dwell for a bit. Here's another one of those things that I think God orchestrated just to give theologians an excuse to write books. It was uh, D.A. Carson who said this, A lot of ink has been spilled trying to explain the 153 fish. All back... All the way back to AD 400 when Augustine had this very, very elaborate mathematical equation based on Ezekiel 47, where you've got to add 7, divide it by 17, multiply it by 3, subtract this, and come up with 153. Gee, that sounds complicated. Here's the point one of the disciples, probably not a fisherman, said, My goodness me, that's a big haul of fish. Probably this is what happened. I wonder how many there are. Now of the disciples that aren't named, who would more likely have wanted to count something? And if you've seen The Chosen, it would make sense that Matthew would have gone, let me count those. (laughs) And the answer is, my goodness me, there's 153 large fish here. And the theological significance is, Matthew was amazed. That's probably all we need to know here. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. In other words... Don't worry about the fish. I got it already. Come and have breakfast. There was enough of what Jesus was cooking for all of the seven other disciples. This is why I'm saying this is funny. None of you are laughing furiously, but on the inside I am right now. Now, none of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. And again, I'm suggesting that there was probably something in the way Jesus broke the bread and gave it to them. That they knew that's the way Jesus does that. That's Jesus. And you've got to remember, it's dusk. It's a little bit dark. Yes, there's a fire going there. But you've also got to remember, Jesus was brutalized. And when he was resurrected, all of that, except the prints in his hands and his side, where it was scars, were healed. The flesh made whole again. So now they can see it was the Lord Jesus came. And took the bread and gave it to them. And so would the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had revealed was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And the other two occur in John chapter 20 verses 19 to 23. And John chapter 20 verses 26 to 29. So it's, it's the three, third time that John is telling us about. We know that there are other occasions when Jesus appeared. But this is the third time John's telling us about. From this stage... Peter and Jesus get up and go for a walk. And John follows, as we'll see in a moment. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, probably in a come for a walk. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Possibly the these are the fish, possibly. Probably not, though. Probably, Jesus is asking, of these disciples, your brothers, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than they love me? It's an interesting question. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. They keep walking. He said to him a second time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes Lord, you know that I love you. He's added that now. You know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. They keep walking. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because... He said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I want you to see something in that little exchange, profound exchange. And if you are thinking, why did he ask three times? And it's not lost on people that when... Jesus in the upper room, as we've seen in that farewell discourse, that conversation Jesus had with his disciples before he knew he was going to the cross. And he knew before he went to the cross, he would be whipped, beaten, flogged, punched, kicked. Have chunks of his beard ripped out. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 52, I think it is, his back would resemble a plowed field by the time they had scourged him with whips jesus knew all that was going to happen with all that physical pain jesus says to his disciples and this night you will all leave me and that's when peter said never i'll never do it i'll never do it and you know what jesus says in fact in john's gospel there's a detail that's left out in luke's gospel it says that when peter said that jesus said Simon, Simon, Satan has wanted to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that when you turn, you will strengthen your brothers. Tend my lambs, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And when Jesus then said before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times... And in the Gospels we read that on the third occasion when Peter was challenged, you're one of his disciples. And he said, I don't even know the man and began to do what Sari said that that Lady Anne should never do. And that is, it says, Peter began to swear. And just at that moment, from the courtroom scene in the house of Annas, the high priest where his son-in-law Caiaphas was sitting in judgment... It says, Jesus looked out into the courtyard and saw Peter, just at that moment. And it says, with that, Peter wept bitterly, because Jesus could both see it and hear it. Fulfilling exactly what he said Peter would do, deny him three times. And here he is now, restoring Peter. Three times he affirms, three times, I love you, I love you, I love you. And here's the test because love is not really love until it's tested because Peter has now said to Jesus three times I love you you know I love you you know everything now Jesus is going to tell Peter that this will come at a cost your love for me will come at a cost is how I'm summarizing this for those who don't know, there, there is an ancient expression: what would happen to someone who was to be crucified, and it was called stretching out their arms, where they would literally stretch out their arms, and then they would tie them to the crossbeam, and that's the crossbeam that would then be carried to where they would be crucified. Then the ropes that have tied them would then be replaced with nails, as their arms are stretched out. That expression. They will take your arms and they will stretch you out. And Christ is telling Peter not just the cost of what his answer was. But exactly how it would happen. What Jesus has just told Peter is, you will be crucified because you're my disciple. You may have seen the painting by Caravaggio in the Renaissance period. Where it depicts the Apostle Peter... um, around the time he was crucified in uh, AD 64 Kim and I went to the basilica of St Peter in Rome and they've actually got the the chains and the manacles in a glass box that you can come down and genuflect before I don't know what that's going to do for your spirituality but it's there that they they've kept for 2000 years and in about 600 AD a legend began that Peter was actually crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified the same way up as my saviour. There is a high probability, a very high probability, that if he requested that of the Romans, they had no obligation to do what he said. They tended to take a pretty uh, hostile approach to requests such as that. But anyway, it's a nice piece of art. What we see here is Jesus telling him this, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands. Another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. That prophecy given to Peter in about AD 33 was fulfilled in about AD 64 and John tells us he said this to show by what kind of death what kind of death he was to glorify God and after saying this Jesus said to him follow me i want you to notice something here because i am good friends with the catholic archbishop of tasmania he is a good friend we literally will have coffee together julian portis is a great man But I think he's wrong on a number of points, but it's okay because I think I'm pretty sure the feeling's mutual. When he and his family funded the new altar in St Mary's Cathedral in Hobart, Kim and I were his special guests. And I thought we could just slip in there and I thought we were one of hundreds of special guests, only to realise that we were his special guests. Because I said... You know, we drove down three hours to go to this thing. We're sitting on wooden pews, and, all, and, and we thought, oh man, how are we going to do this? Anyway, two and a half hours of Catholic church service is what we sat through. But it began with this I'd like to welcome our special guests, Dr. Andrew Corbett and. Oh, there you are! Because I was thinking we would sneak out about 15 minutes in, put in an appearance. Didn't happen that way. I'm saying it to say. He's a good friend of mine. But on the basis of what we've just read, they claim that this was Christ commissioning Peter to be the first pope. And I want to point out that that's not what Jesus did at all. He wasn't making Peter superior to the other apostles. There was nothing in that text about that. He wasn't making Peter the head of the church. Nothing in the text about that. In fact, the three words that Christ charges Peter with are, sorry to bring English into this sermon, verbs. In other words, not what you will be or what title you will have, but your three responsibilities. That's a verb, to do. And the first two were feed Christ's lambs. Not Peter's, Christ's. Jesus says, feed My lambs, verse 15, and tend my sheep. So Peter was charged to tend, that's a verb, do this, and feed Christ's sheep. Three responsibilities of a shepherd. I'm going to suggest to you that just as the three other gospels finish with Christ's commission to believers, that this is also a commission to all of us. Who would want to be a mature follower of Christ. How do you feed lambs? How do you tend sheep? How do you feed sheep? Through the instruction of the word of God. Amen. That's how you do it. And so if you ever get an email from me, you'll see I have my name. And then after it, I have three initials. Rob Quinn actually went to the trouble. Where is Rob? Where are you? There you, are. you went to the trouble of finding out. wonder what VDM stands for. Do you remember? You probably don't remember what the answer was. Yeah, they're Latin, three Latin words. It means servant of the word of God. And that's my call in life, to be a servant of the word of God. Because that's what God, Christ, has charged Peter to be. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. So now we know they're walking. The one who also had leaned against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it who's going to betray you? So that was John. We know that. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, knowing that Christ has just said, gonna, you're going you're to be crucified. It's going to be a brutal death. So Peter, if I could summarize what he says, what about him? <laughs> I don't know if he said it in a high-pitched voice like that, but I would have. Lord, oh, here's, here's how it sounds all very religious lord what about this man jesus said to him if it is my will that he remain until i come what is that to you you follow me and that's a great principle of how we are to follow christ not get not take on the offense of someone else so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple john was not to die Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And note this, I'm suggesting this is the Ephesian elders who have inserted this verse into John's Gospel under the inspiration of the Spirit. Because John would have written this in Ephesus, the first recipients of this would have been the Ephesian church... And the Ephesian elders have added this with the approval of John because, do you note the next word? And we know that his testimony is true. They are vouching for him and this gospel. And now, there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. There's a lot more to know about Jesus. And here's my question. John has written all of this so that you will believe, believe in, follow, obey, become a worshipper of Jesus. And at the end of that journey, to love him all your days, to surrender to him and love him. And if you're called to be a mature believer, you will will know that you are also called to feed feed people, tend people. And feed them the word of God. And that's what we want to invite you to do. Perhaps you've never given your life to Christ. Perhaps you've you've always thought Christianity is just an idea. It's like going to church that makes you a Christian. And I hope today that what you've heard is that's not it at all. You need to surrender your life. It's a heart attitude. And I guarantee you, no matter what you've done, no matter who you've done it with, no matter who knows what you've done... You can be forgiven. And today can be the day where you take on the identity that God created you.
0: If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select The Last Gospel, Part 26, from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, Peter had denied Jesus three times. So in an act of restoration, Jesus asks Peter three times, Do you love me? and he charges him with the task of putting that love into action. Jesus is looking at you, and the question hangs in the air for you to answer. Do you love me? More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.